can all reminisce once in a while, but the danger might be that we regret what we have become. There were many times when we might have made other choices, but then again, dwell on that regret and we might not fully appreciate the value of what we did choose. Whatever. We can't stop the reverie. Such kisses. It was his turn to cook. They had shaped a routine, possibly slipped into, maybe been caged by a routine. But no matter, routines have their attractions. He had learned to be a half-decent, fair-to-middling cook. It was the relationship itself, the desire to make it work, rather than a sense of duty or failure, that had enabled him to take up the challenge. His own father had been useless domestically, and this had never been questioned in the long, slow disintegration of his parents' marriage. All things began with onions. He enjoyed the simple ceremony of removing the skin, cutting the onion in half, and chopping finely. Then a red pepper, diced, some mushrooms, sliced, four cloves of garlic, crushed, and a chilli for devilment. Sizzle in olive oil, and then scatter on pasta, just drained and steaming, that had timed its al dente nine minutes to perfection. Grate on parmesan, grind on black pepper, and there you have it. Good enough emotional maintenance. I had a call at work from my old friend Babler. We were students together in Brent. Oh yes, he's fine. It was to do with the transfer of a patient into my team. But he told me some sad news. Said that Una, I can't remember her second name, had died. She was the secretary of the little hospital social work unit where we both had our final placements. Before that she had been a police officer, but she was great, very bright, not at all... What? Not at all old. But she must have been sixty-five when we knew her. She seemed younger. Anyway, she died, and it's a shame. That's all. He had met his partner Kate at work five years ago. She was a psychiatric nurse. He was a community mental health team manager. Now she was the nursing lead for the trust, and he was still in middle management, toiling in the undergrowth of madness, sifting through the intolerable bureaucratic burdens that the NHS bestowed. Well, she was more ambitious, more political. They were well suited to their roles, though the health service might yet kill them both with its savage and perverse demands. They ate their meal in a comfortable silence. They had moved beyond the trivial obligation of asking each other, how was your day? The copper bracelet on her left wrist clanked against the plate. It had been one of the first gifts he'd given her. Inexpensive, but beautifully shaped, from a trip to Marrakesh that he'd taken on his own just before they got together. They sipped their wine. A bottle a day, perhaps too much, perhaps sometimes a little too little. They want me to go to a conference in Bath. I'll take some leave and come with you. It's about quality improvement in incident reporting. I can slouch around the town, pretending to be a character out of Jane Austen. Captain Wentworth, perhaps. It's only a day trip. We could make a holiday out of it. Maybe. Why was she reluctant? He hoped it wasn't the embarrassment of being seen with him from the lower ranks of the organisation. But she wasn't like that. She wore her learning and her position lightly. It could be she just wanted a day out, on her own, 
don't we all? She'd been wonderful when his father died. And his father had taken such a long time dying. Hospital admissions, convalescent homes, home care packages, relapses, readmissions. The whole circle had turned several times. They were so used to his dying, so exhausted with his dying, so numbed by the constant abuse that he showered over them, and the drinking, well, you could see where he got that craving from. But he wasn't going to turn into his father. He couldn't do that to Kate, or to himself. The one thing that his father had enabled them to enjoy was the Dorset coast. Dying in Wimborne, with its far too picturesque town centre, had let them explore the fabulous Isle of Purbeck. When full-time ministrations were not needed, they had found a gold ring on the slopes of Corfe Castle, and he had wedded her on the spot, in a playful but affecting tease. Of course, neither of them believed in marriage. How could they, after what his parents had done to each other? When are you going to have children? Asking this question was the only thing that all surviving relatives on both sides had in common. Well, we're trying. Kate used to read to his father as he lay, drunk and gasping, in usually fetid sheets. She read his favourite books and let the occasional outbursts of vituperation wash over her. Why would anyone want to die to the mournful disintegration of hope that constitutes Anna Karenina was anyone's guess. Perhaps his father had needed to assert his intellect just to prove that empty bottles and pissing the bed did not an ignoramus make. Kate's patience was miraculous. I'm a nurse, she said. I'm a social worker, he replied, but that doesn't mean I have any capacity for empathy in this case. He had hated hating his father. Why could the reaper not have come to harvest this miserable old soul before they were driven to distraction? Duty on its own is a poor and barren thing without affection, or the memory of affection, to quiet its resentment. After the funeral they had walked along the beach in Swanwich, and she had known so skilfully, so tenderly, how to let the flux of pain and shame play itself out in his anguished conversation. She had calmed him, it was her genius, though now he wondered, with all the ingratitude that self-awareness permits, was it enough to sustain them? They both wanted, so it seemed to him, slightly less of each other. So tell me more about this Una. Oh, there's not much to tell. But she always knew when he was being avoidant. She didn't have to say anything. Just the slightest arch of her right eyebrow was enough to indicate that she had registered his reluctance to elaborate. What the hell? We had a sexual relationship. It was true. It was long ago. They had fallen into easy talk about football and politics. He had expected her to be reserved, conservative and shallow. It was a typical young man's assumption about an older woman. He had been so wrong. She was ebullient, witty, knowledgeable and sarcastic. He was often the object of her derision, but it was softly done. He assumed that she preferred women, another lazy interpretation of the life of a single retired policewoman. She thought he was different from the run-of-the-mill student they were used to in the team. It was in the days when you wrote out your notes, letters and reports in longhand, and the secretary would then type them up. How quaint! She admired the way he ironed his own shirts and was impeccably polite. And indeed, he was, still. 
Perhaps, he thought to himself, it was his only endearing and enduring attribute. She told him about her time in the police with a piercing critical eye and a total absence of defensiveness. Even when out taking statements or after chasing a suspect, she was frequently expected to fetch the tea and to offer an opinion only when the men consented. There were hair-raising tales of brutality and ignorance, but also just a little of that bobby-on-the-beat salt-of-the-earth reassurance to stop the nightmares. Why? It was near the end of his placement. The team had all gone for drinks on a Friday night. He found himself next to Una, and they simply continued their ongoing discussion. The lack of creativity in Arsenal's midfield. The appalling misery of Thatcherism. The exaggerated nature of TV cop shows. And the team slowly ebbed away, as with all such gatherings. People went home, some after one drink, some after five. He and Una had not drunk very much, and he offered to walk her home, as she didn't live far. So they ambled in the early summer dusk along Acton Lane and then down onto the Grand Union Canal towpath, where they turned westwards towards Lower Place and Una's beautifully restored almshouse cottage, which she had bought on her retirement from the force. She had already asked him if he had a girlfriend. He said no. When they were nearing her front door, she hooked her arm around his and told him that he would be most welcome to come in for a nightcap. She had taken charge, he supposed. A glass of whisky barely sipped, then the first laughing kiss, unhurried undressing, walking naked and splendidly unashamed to the bedroom. She had not been his first lover, but she was undoubtedly the best. How long did it last? Just the summer. She had ended it, told him to throw himself at life and enjoy it to the full. He had been expecting her to be clingy and demanding wrong again. He read people so badly. A great deficit for a social worker. He liked her. She made him feel wonderful. The sex was intense. The age difference was exciting, outrageous, perverse, compelling. They spent nearly every weekend together. They went away to caravans by the sea. Of course he had loved her. Of course it couldn't last. Or had that been yet another foolish conclusion to which he had jumped. And then what had happened? He had graduated, had landed the first job for which he had interviewed in South London. Four years hard graft, learning the trade as it really was, as opposed to the textbook version, or even the mollycoddled student placement version. Be diligent, try not to panic, expect no gratitude. And then, when he realised four years later that you were allowed to change jobs after you'd proved yourself, he had moved north and met Kate. The food. It's really good, by the way. Thanks. He poured two more large glasses of wine and emptied the bottle. They were always both astonished at how quickly that happened. Cutting down was in first place on their constantly deferred to-do list. They told themselves, and each other, that they drank to cope with the stress of work, and it was true. But when had working for the public sector become so diseased? The vocation of caring for people had been infected with unspeakable jargon, with pseudo-business lunacy and voracious data harvesting. The organisation for which they worked had become sclerotic with the vanity of corporate diktat, and it ate away inside them. Except she wasn't as angry as him. She was never angry. 
Last weekend they had gone for a walk up to Parliament Hill to take in the grand view over London, to stand where all the revolutionaries had stood, plotting the future. And she had told him, Stop trying so hard to be the person you once were, or the one you think you want to be. He had given himself up to the quiet brilliance of her comprehension. She noticed things about him that he hadn't perceived. All he had to do was dull the impotent fury that he carried, recalibrate himself to cope better with the everyday, without giving up on dreams of a better world. Be more Lenin. She was so much more impressive than he was. Can admiration be love? But they were friends as well, good friends. Wasn't that enough? They cleared the dishes and he volunteered to wash up, even though it was her turn. She had a report to finish and needed to get that done before she was too exhausted to think. And exhaustion was always there, hovering at the back of everything. Why did their work wring them out like this? They needed a holiday. But even on holiday, the anxiety still simmered. He made coffee and sat with her. And when she finally closed the laptop, they could at least end that day with a moment of comfort in being together. Though in the warmth of silence, he afforded himself a last glimpse of his old lover, just to bid her farewell. And it made him smile. Her busybody neighbour had phoned her one day while he was visiting. "'There's a naked man in your house, Una.' "'Indeed there is, Margaret. Indeed there is.' Thank you.